0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name is Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we are here to discuss the Uncanny X-Men number 226 special double-sized issue from February 1988 on sale October 20th of 1987 with a cover price of $1.25. As I mentioned, it is a double-sized issue. This one's titled Go Tell the Spartans.
1: And how uh, the cover of this... Features a whole bunch of X-Men silhouettes with red skeletons.
0: I feel like this is a phoned-in cover. I don't know. Give her the t-shirt test. I'm not buying this.
1: <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I feel like I buy all of these just for the nostalgia factor. Um, it you You would definitely get, like, if it doesn't say X-Men on it, you would definitely get a lot of, like, what is that? Because yeah. there's really nothing... That says that this is an X-Men issue. Uh, there is in the background like a, a flamey or lightning evil smile who's looking over all of these X-Men skeletons. And really, uh, I guess I have to agree maybe with the phoned in of this cover because... This cover really doesn't have anything to do with the issue. I mean, maybe maybe I guess you could draw a parallel towards the end of the comic, but I don't know. It doesn't seem to be I, within the same theme of the issue. I think
0: because it was a double-sized issue, the you start to see towards the end that the artwork kind of peters off. I never, it never gets bad, but it gets a little sloppier towards the end. So maybe this cover was kind of a last-minute sort of and Mark Silvestri was just like oh, I haven't even started the cover what do I do well I could just do something off of the last panel yeah and I'll throw Storm in there too why not yeah okay then I could put the adversary in the background yeah that,
1: there's nothing really on the cover here though that tells you that this is the adversary I mean I guess if you're reading the series you can probably guess that it's the adversary but
0: well, who else would it be the blob pyro <laughs> It's interesting inclusion of uh, Storm on the cover. That really doesn't make any sense. No. <clears throat> I like how Longshot still has pouches.
1: <laughs> well, maybe Mark Silvestri was like, I'm going to draw them. And then, you know, he looked at the clock and it's midnight. Is like, ooh, nope. I need an inker to just put some skeletons in.
0: Yeah, honestly, this is a pretty good drawing. I mean, if it was detailed in, it would even be better, but... I'm, you know, maybe they're trying something new. Who knows? We could be totally wrong. Probably this is, this is the cover that Silvestri is the most proud of for some random reasons that we don't understand. Like the skeletons, he used some really cool cutting edge technique at the time.
1: You you could be, you're crapping all over his favorite cover. It could be. I've never really had a problem with this cover. Um, you put all three of the covers together, and I think it kind of works, right? You have, like, the the first issue is, like, the heroic, like, good guys fighting bad guys. And then this would be, like, your Empire Strikes Back ending, like, it's all over. The X-Men are going to die. And then the third issue has a, a more uplifting cover. Put them all three together, and it you know, kind
0: of tells its own story. They do put all three of them together in the omnibus. Oh, uh, they they do it for X Men, X Factor, and New Mutants. Just put all the the Fall of the Mutants covers together, the the three three issues in a row, and it and it seems like they're supposed to be semi-connective, like there are things that bleed in from previous like the covers, but but not really. So it's hard to tell if if those things that actually bleed into different covers are coincidental or not.
1: I would imagine there was some level of coordination.
0: It, it, it would have to be the extremely smallest amount of coordination, though. If there was any amount of coordination, that almost makes it disappointing. <laughs> the X-Factor ones are much better, especially the cover of 24 and 25. Those go together pretty well. But, uh, yeah, the X-Men ones barely go together at all. And then the New Mutants ones... I can't even find it in this book. Oh, <laughs> here they are. No, they don't go together at all. The ground kind of goes together. <laughs> and that's about it. Yeah,
1: they were all going for something different, maybe. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, open this guy up, um, and we we get kind of like a little, a little prologue before the actual credits. And uh, we see, and when we last left the issue, the X-Men were running inside with Mystique, and Freedom Force was taking cover outside with... Uh, Rogue, Psylocke, and I don't remember Dazzler. Maybe I don't remember. Uh, we'll find out in a minute. But inside the building, Wolverine is laying on the ground and he is in pain. Maybe one of the most bits of pain he's ever been into. Most people would die, but not Wolverine. He's got his healing factor, and everything's knitting itself back together. And it hurts, it hurts so bad. But he's a leader, and so he can't give up. He can't. He can't just phone it in. He's got to. He's got to push through this
0: and all this just because he got sat on by the blob.
1: Uh well, probably getting shot by all those lasers didn't help. Mm. But again, that was his own fault. That was that was a
0: long time ago.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, this is this is old Wolverine. This is uh not not new wave Wolverine where he would have regrown legs in like 10 minutes. <laughs> And so, inside, uh, you know, the X-Men are, like, Colossus is putting together a little lean-to or something to protect Wolverine, because I, I think they're worried about the building maybe collapsing on them. Havoc scanning the outside, trying to figure out what to do next.
0: He says, I will, be, I will build a redoubt to protect Wolverine. I don't know what a redoubt is.
1: I just assume it's... I said like lean-to, lean but he's got like a giant boulder. <laughs> I don't know what he's going to do with this giant boulder. <laughs> I
0: will drop this on Wolverine. It will help.
1: <laughs> I am not good at protecting Wolverine. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's not, like, a frame or anything that he can put this boulder on that would shield Wolverine from additional, you know, things falling from the sky. It's just he's carrying a big boulder over to Wolverine. And you never actually see what he does with this boulder. We just, like, change our attention over to Freedom Force, and then Wolverine's back in action later. So, I don't know. Just fill in some pages, fill in some dialogue balloons. Mark (laughs) Silvestri drew this, and and, uh, uh, I don't know. Chris Claremont could have been like, I will clear some debris. Could have been better. (laughs) But I guess he decided he would go with Redoubt, which I also don't know what that is. It's
0: a thing I've never heard of. I'm not going to look it up. Yeah, I want our (laughs) listeners to uh, not look it up for us. If you have to look it up, I don't want to hear from you. If you know what it is, though, there's no no way we're going to know whether or not you looked it up. But please, please don't.
1: (laughs) No, if you know what it is, you should uh, give us a phone call at 501-GET-X-MEN and leave us voicemail about what a redoubt is.
0: Yes. Is it like Rebar?
1: <laughs> Colossus asks Havok what's going on. Havok looks outside. He's, he's also lamenting the fact that we'll, or, you know the X-Men are the criminals and the former Brotherhood of the Evil Mutants are the good guys. He recounts the prisoners, which are Psylocke, Dazzler, and Rogue. And he also recognizes that Destiny, the precog, she looks really upset, and she is. It,
0: it almost feels like this is a couple of seconds before the last panel of the previous issue, because nobody's freaking out over the fact that a crack opened up in the sky yet. Uh, but I, I agree. Destiny is <clears throat> freaking out a little bit over the fact that uh, she can't see anybody's future, effectively making her powers completely useless. and And that's probably pretty scary, too.
1: Yes, she she's used to having all of these visions of the future, and now she can see nothing. She is as blind to the future as she is to, you know, everything else. Completely blind. Worthless. She's an old lady in the middle of a battlefield. What the hell is she going to do? I'm just like everybody
0: else now. <laughs> oh. uh,
1: Commando, Crimson, Crimson Commando, he's, he's wondering, like, what what is she panicking about? Is it Mystique? We'll get her. Don't worry about that. And she's like, no, I don't see a future. I don't see a future for us, or the X-Men, or even our world. I see none.
0: Havoc uh, notices the Super Saber speedster runoff, and um, this has no relevance to the comic whatsoever. We never find out where he goes. He says probably to cover
1: the back door, and let's just leave it. Like, he runs and covers the back door, and
0: that's all he does. Yeah, but he comes back in a few pages. Oh, so does he? <laughs> maybe right. he was like, uh, Backdoor looks okay. I'll go back now. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: This was just an excuse, I guess, to have Colo- or, um, uh, Havoc turn around and see some of the ceiling collapsing towards Colossus and Mystique and Madeline Pryor, and he blows it away. Uh, Colossus shields the two women with his armored form. Oh,
0: my my armored body will protect you, ladies, from any fragments.
1: But who will protect you from Colossus? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh wait! Uh, Wolverine finally gets up, um, and he says, "This is only the beginning." Madeline's like, "What are you doing?" you don't have you gotta rest. I know all about your healing factor, and you need to give it a chance to heal, or you'll never recover. She read the files, man. She hung and, and up, she, she hangs out with the X Men.
0: Wolverine's like, ah, "I'll be fine in a couple pages."
1: Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> So he picks himself up, uh, just says, like, uh, we got to figure this out. Uh, Mystique's like, give yourself up. Like, just just go to jail, and then you'll be safe.
0: At least by surrendering, you'll be
1: safe. Havoc's like, no way. Ain't going to happen. Longshot then says, excuse me, teammates. I haven't been a part of your world for long, but is your day star sun supposed to shine in the middle of the night? And that's when we get the crew. Yeah, it's kind of a... Boo moment. That's when we get the credits. Go tell the Spartans a story by Chris Claremont, Mark Silvestri, Dan Green, uh, Oliver, and Ray are the colorists, so Glynis Oliver and I don't know who Ray. Um, Fay Ray? Let's,
0: let's say f- Link Ray. Link Ray? Okay. I, uh,
1: I don't or- know. <laughs> Tom Morzikowski's lettering, Innocenti's the editor, Tom DeFalco's the editor-in-chief, and we get like a two-page top-half spread of... Dallas, downtown Dallas, uh, with Eagle Plaza, I presume, in the middle, and the sky opening up above it.
0: So maybe that's why the quality sort of cuts off in the second half. Is because of uh, person Ray? Could be not. A, and again, it doesn't. It changes. It doesn't. It doesn't get worse. So it could just be a different inker.
1: And that's when Neil Conan. And Manoli show up in the NPR mobile.
0: Now we know that Neil Conan is real.
1: I would imagine that Manoli, as well as the NPR mobile, are both uh, imaginary creations.
0: Yeah. um, And and the weird thing about this is that Neil Conan is is kind of a cameraman through most of this.
1: Yeah, they have to. I mean, there's it. He starts off as a journalist. Um, I don't know that they talk about like, like him as a real person and like what he, he does. Uh, but they, there's a reasonable explanation for why he's the cameraman throughout most of this, but so it kind of works. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's a radio personality or is he still, he was,
0: I don't know. I don't know if he still is,
1: but, uh, uh, I can, I can, I'm almost guaranteeing that, uh, NPR never owned a car that had NPR written on the driver's side door (laughs) i think it's a great idea and i think they should have but i can't imagine they ever had a budget for that
0: quick let's get in the npr mobile
1: (laughs) there's a story breaking manoli grab your gear and she's got like a i think it's a she i'm pretty sure it's a she she's got like a like a gi joe communications backpack
0: yeah yeah (laughs) i'm I'm just gonna pretend manoli as terry gross
1: okay well if terry gross wore a gi joe communications backpack
0: which she does does she and she drives an NPR mobile, so. <laughs> oh,
1: that's right. I forgot about all that. <laughs> yeah, so they skid into uh, this scene. Uh, so it's snow on the dark side, and it's summer on the light side. So you see Neil Conan walking in, uh, taking off his winter jacket and into his suit. He's pretty styling. And this is uh, this could be the story of a lifetime. I can't let it pass me by. Minoli, she's not quite so sure about
0: all this you know she's she's young she just joined the npr staff
1: she's not making that sweet npr money like neil conan is
0: (laughs) yeah that's right
1: (laughs) and of course when i read this i read this as neil conan and i thought it was maybe like a uh like a shout out to conan the barbarian because you know conan the barbarian was a marvel comic as well
0: wow you must have been disappointed
1: well it was you know, a couple of years later, me, my dad is involved in public radio—not national public radio—but we listen to a lot of national public radio. And then I heard a radio piece by Neil Cohen. and I was like, "Oh my God, that guy is like the guy in my comic book!" And then I was like, "Wait a <laughs> minute, <laughs> I'll bet you the comic book guy is like the guy on the radio." I don't actually know what he looks like, so I can only assume he looks like the drawing here.
0: Yeah, I'm sure this is a representation of an actual person.
1: I think it's weird that they decided to grab a real personality for this, and and they didn't go for, like, Dan Rather or, you know, a nationally known – I mean, it's NPR, so it's he's nationally known, but he's not on the same level as Ted Koppel or the like. You know what I mean?
0: Maybe he was a lot more popular in the 80s. Uh, or maybe he was the only one who would agree to be in it without like a lawsuit. <laughs>
1: yeah. But at that point, why wouldn't you just make up like, that's true. A, a guy just make it like Manoli. Well, like
0: they Manoli. had pre-established Neil Conan in the comic. I don't know. You're right. It is a, it is a very weird thing to have him this much in the story.
1: I mean, a lot of times usually
0: we get like uh a, just a newscaster and they'll just say some sort of news things. Right. Like this is, it, this is a major part.
1: It wouldn't surprise me that Dan Rather's image – well, like David Letterman was in one of the Avengers issues, which is kind of stupid. But I bet you um, uh, Dan Rather was probably uh, in a comic, on a TV set, delivering some news, and then signing off. And then they moved on with the rest of the story. But I don't think that – I don't know. It's weird. But it's fine. I mean, I don't mind it.
0: I mean, yeah. Probably a lot of people today at least don't know who Neil Conan is, so they probably just kind of – You know, read through this and, like, it's just some random fictional newscaster. He serves his purpose.
1: I would also imagine, though, that the average comic book reader in the 80s probably also didn't know who he was. Because, I mean, NPR is kind of like, you know, your mom or your dad or your grandparents' radio station.
0: Yeah, it's probably true. (laughs) So,
1: anyways, uh, he's on the scene. But we flip our attention over to the ex-prisoners who uh, Dazzler was able to take the brunt of Super Saber's sonic boom. I mean, she was knocked down, but she wasn't knocked unconscious. So she decides that with all of the uh, sound that she absorbed, she's going to do a dazzle blast.
0: So apparently the sonic boom uh, charged her up fully.
1: Yeah. So she does do a dazzle blast. It blinds a bunch of people, but it has no effect on uh, Spiral, who grabs the oracle mask that... um, destiny pulled off She flies up to dazzler she's like you can't blind me and she shoves the oracle mask on dazzler's face and then stabs her in the face with a knife
0: yeah this is uh this is pretty serious um also this is where i noticed that super saber is back when when dazzler blinds everybody oh he's 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 right there
1: he's turned around yeah so he he ran back he's like up back door's covered ah dazzler (laughs) out of my eyes
0: (laughs) So, yeah, she she puts like you said, she puts a mask on Dazzler's face uh, and then stabs her with a knife in the face, which is pretty serious. Yeah. Except in the next few panels, she explains Spiral explains to Psylocke that it's not as serious. It's not as bad as it looks. The, the mask is real, but the blade is not. It's more of like a. Like a psychic thing,
1: yeah. It's like you know, she put the mask on Dazzler uh, to make Dazzler blind, and the knife is just a binding spell that makes it impossible to remove through physical means.
0: And she's like, "I can, I can remove that
1: whenever I want. When, when you know, when you guys are in custody, I'll remove it." She picks up Psylocke and she holds her up with two of her arms and like threatens to cut her head off with the other two arms.
0: Yeah, because she is a psi witch and far more dangerous. So the only way. To cut off her abilities is to cut off her head. Rogue is
1: like, you want to talk about losing heads?
0: And she flies in. She
1: grabs Spiral and flies her way up in the sky. She's about to punch her lights out when Spiral teleports away behind Rogue. Darn, darn! She yells. Spiral grabs Rogue with a couple of her arms, and it's kind of a cool panel of how she's got all of her arms just every which way Um, the thing that bugs me though is if you look at the left bottom panel her top arm is naked her middle arm is armored, and her bottom arm—I'm talking about her right side—is also naked. But when you flip to her right side to look at her holding onto Rogue, it's just one armored arm, and the other two arms are not around. Bugs me because you should be—you should be able to see at least her top naked arm because that's the one that was holding her around her neck.
0: Oh, I see what you're saying.
1: I don't care about that bottom arm. That's just off-panel. That makes sense. And I wouldn't be bothered if her top arm would have been the armored arm. Then this whole panel would make sense, but... Wait. Well,
0: her top arm is the armored arm, if you look at the uh, the middle top panel, or uh, the, the, the middle panel in the page. Oh. Well, that's weird. So, So I'm thinking...
1: Her arms are just all over the place.
0: So her yeah, her middle arm is there's raised. There's a mistake up, happening here.
1: Her middle arm seems impossibly raised over her top arm. That seems like it would really hurt her multiple shoulders.
0: Well, that doesn't bother me because the 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 position of the arms seem like they're all coming out of the same place. Yeah. So they can they can be probably manipulated a little bit weirdly, and we can't actually see the the back of the arms, so they could you know, like one of them could be like farther back or something like that. But, yeah, you're right, and they, they immediately cut over to this panel where her topmost arm is back to being the one that is wrapped around Rogue's neck, which we clearly see in the previous panel that it is not, unless she wrapped her arm over the top of her other arm. That could
1: be. Maybe she did. Maybe she's like, oh, she's really strong, and then off panel, she held her with the top arm. But she's threatening her with, like, her knife fingertips. So Yeah, so
0: where do those knives go?
1: I don't know. <laughs> it's weird but i guess it's probably pretty difficult when you're drawing six armed women trying to keep track of which limb was where and you're doing a double size right and you only have like 28 days to get her out
0: yeah yeah it's tough tough life
1: so we flip our attention over to elsewhere um and where storm and forge are hanging out they're not dead they were teleported elsewhere i think we thought that um forge had used some powers at the last minute to teleport them elsewhere but apparently, it was the adversary.
0: Uh, I thought it was Roma, but oh. yeah, like you said, it, it it ends up being the adversary,
1: and they don't know why. Which
0: I, which I feel like is a bit of a retcon,
1: but I feel like whatever. you're right too, because I feel like in two twenty four, two twenty five, one of those two issues, like he wanted them dead, like that was the whole point, uh, was to get them off the playing board so that they wouldn't be the spoilers for his big master plan, but instead. We changed gears to the adversary, teleporting them to essentially maybe a parallel Earth uh, that's outside of our time space, which we learn about yes. a little bit more later. But, but right now, uh, they're just kind of taking care of Forge um, because he's he's real hurt. Uh, her stab was really close to his heart.
0: and But she uh, he says, it wasn't like you to miss, but perhaps your heart were, really wasn't into it. And she says, nah, it wasn't.
1: Yeah. So everything's okay. They love each other. They they tell each other that they love each other. And uh, you know, she's going to stay by his side and, and take care of him uh, for a little bit. Although he's like, uh, I want you to stay here by my side in the cave. And she's like, I'll be close. And he's like, no, I don't want to be alone, please. So I feel like she's establishing her independence. Like, look, I got things to do. You're going to be fine, you big baby. Said I loved you.
0: I'm assuming she sticks around. At yeah. least until he falls asleep.
1: He's probably She's probably gathering food and, you know, whatever else she can do. Not, not taking off on him yet, at least. Yeah. But uh, back in Dallas, we learn a little bit more about what's going on with the tear in the night sky. Uh, apparently, the future and the past and the present are all being melded together. So you've got, like, a future city. You've got dinosaurs. You've got Cro-Magnum. You've got what looks like an apocalypse, and this is all. Maybe, this is what? all. What's that?
0: What's the apocalypse?
1: I don't know that last panel. That could also <laughs> be part of Eagle Plaza, but it, I don't know. It's, it's all kind of looks like Days of Future Past, but I'm sure it's not.
0: Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess, yeah. If it's from the future and alternate timelines, it could very well be from Days of Future Past.
1: I think the point here is that just all timelines are just coinciding on downtown dallas within this and in a
0: super chaotic manner as well it's not it's not done with any kind of uh intent it all seems to be thrown together
1: right and it's not like the dinosaurs are rapidly turning into crow magnum who's rapidly turning into humans it's, it's all kind of happening uh things it to me anyways as i read this because it's not i don't feel like it's super clearly defined but it seems like things are coming and going uh randomly
0: There is a – I don't know if it's what kind of issue I had with this issue. Uh, I guess it's maybe a little – like there there aren't enough words to explain what's going on. Uh, I felt there was a little bit of maybe a pacing issue or something, but uh, it doesn't – it's missing something.
1: Yeah, there's – this whole thing that I described, I kind of – like when I read it when I was younger, I kind of breezed over and it's taken me – you know and, and we've established that I'm a slow person, but it's taken me all these years to kind of uh, read between the lines uh, and fill in the gaps. Um, because I do feel like there's a maybe not so much a pacing issue, but like a scoping issue where uh, I think Chris, Chris Claremont wants you to know that this is happening anywhere where this, this sun is, which is all of downtown Dallas. But the X-Men and Freedom Force are only at um, uh, Eagle Plaza. So their scope of ability to help situation is limited to Eagle Plaza, yet this is supposedly happening everywhere, if that makes any sense.
0: Uh, I don't know. I, I think it, it's just, it's, 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 it's a lot of concepts being thrown out there and they're not tethered together as well as I would like them to be.
1: Right. And I don't even know if, I mind it so much. I think, like, maybe the jumbly mess that's happening in this universe, like, the best way to convey that is to... Withhold some information.
0: I don't mind withholding information. In fact, I, I I think I mean I'm probably making a bigger deal out of out of something that isn't really a big deal. It just it feels like this is not the strongest point in Chris Claremont's writing. Hmm. He's he's done things far better than this particular issue. Hmm. But then again, there there is a lot of going on here. So maybe maybe he's just having trouble tying it together. And then again, maybe I'm just completely out of whack and. This is exactly what he intended. and
1: right. So uh, Wolverine catches this madness. Uh, he catches on to what's going on, and he goes to Mystique. And he's like, look, whatever's happening, it's bigger than both of us. Uh, we're going to have to work together. And so Truce. She, yep. She's like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea.
0: Okie dokie. X-Men and Freedom Force.
1: Together again at last. Colossus continues to kind of like go off onto his own. He's thinking about Roma, um, thinking about a choice that has to be made, keeps getting distracted. Madeline Pryor kind of brings him back.
0: Yeah, there's this kind of a thread of this uh, fate that is going to happen to the X-Men throughout this issue.
1: And and he keeps, uh, and he'll do this again some more, but he keeps kind of like the X-Men go one direction and he kind of like wanders off in a different direction. He's not entirely sure why. He's trying to find something, and he doesn't quite know what it is. Uh, But why do I
0: feel the answer lies within this building? So this is where I feel like
1: the scope thing hits a little bit. Where I first notice it, anyways, because when we see the darkness tear open into the sun, I feel like it's like okay, it's Eagle Plaza and kind of like the surrounding area, and we see Neil Conan and Manoli enter it. So we, I think, anyways, as I read it, that they're like I don't know, a block or so away from Eagle Plaza. But they're just like walking around. And apparently, they're by a movie theater. They see a futuristic news truck that's crashed into the movie theater, and apparently, they're not very close to Eagle Plaza. And this is where Neil Conan gets his camera.
0: Yeah, um, and the the movie is playing the 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 film Attack of the Killer Pacifists, which I think is pretty funny.
1: Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> yes, it's hilarious.
0: It's clever because they're they're pacifists. I would go see that movie.
1: Yeah, sure, I I would too.
0: They're killer pacifists. I
1: get it, man. I totally I get it. Uh, Manoli says like with technology like this, there isn't a place that she couldn't broadcast to if she only had a little bit of time. Like it's so well constructed that you know even even a noob could figure out how to run it. Yeah. And uh, Neil's like, yeah, all right, why don't you do that? Uh, Manoli finds a gun and tells Neil to duck because behind him is like not even a Cro-Magnum. It's like a, I don't know, it's like a Sasquatch with an axe.
0: It's a straight up monster.
1: So It is a monster who who slices through. And this is also where I kind of drew the parallel of like, well, Neil Conan, he's fighting another barbarian, sort of. It's got to be I mean, this is Conan Conan's reference.
0: backstory. <laughs> At the end of this, Neil Conan's going to get transported into Conan world. <laughs> exactly. Where he becomes Conan.
1: And he's going to be like, bye, Crom!" That's, oh, that's, that's, that's the extent of my Conan knowledge. Uh, so he ducks. He doesn't get his head cut off by the barbarian and minoli just like shoots the crap out of the monster using all of the
0: bullets six bullets and no five just five
1: she's like i'm out of shells and neil conan's like uh minoli you gotta find some more bullets and it's at this point that i wonder uh, i mean I, I know nothing about his stance on guns or violence or anything like that but when you typically think of npr you typically think of like you know a pacifist Maybe not a killer pacifist, but somebody who's probably, you know, like up for a lot of gun control and and things of that nature. I just wonder if he had to sign off on this issue. Like, you've put in my likeness in this issue. I get to read it and I get to sign off on it.
0: Well, he does get to play the uh, – the every, he, he, he's, he roots for the right guys. He roots for the heroes. He's very level-headed. Um, he's not yeah. poorly
1: written at all. I'm just saying, like. I just, you know, given that there's like some some pretty intense scenes here, and he's not just like a reporter rooting for the good guys. He's like put into some of these these situations. If they sent him a draft and like Neil, we put you in the comic, and then I guess that brings up another question: Does Neil get royalties for this?
0: <laughs> and then you also have Manoli who just shot somebody and was like stinking muties. Oh, I that's had a right. Feeling they'd be involved. So she has no remorse whatsoever for for shooting what, uh, if she understands this to be a mutant, is also a human.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're right. Good point. It's a good thing uh, to, to mention is that Manoli is no fan of mutants. And Neil, Conan, is like, how do you know it's them? Again, using some level-headedness to be like, are you sure it's
0: mutants? This could be something else. And we'll, we'll learn more about this, uh, uh, Neil, mm-hmm. Conan. So then we flip. To the
1: Galleria, and I don't know if the Galleria is like a famous place in Dallas, Texas, or if it's a part of Eagle Plaza.
0: It's got to be uh, kind of... a, a real place. So
1: this is where I get confused as to where people are, because there's dinosaurs crunching away at the inside of the Galleria, there's people that are running for their lives, and Longshot swings in and saves the kids, kind of trapping him and the kids on a balcony, and this Tyrannosaurus Rex is about to eat them. And that's when Pyro shows up, and he's like, Oi, mate! (sniffs) And he blows up the Tyrannosaurus Rex into a nice, clean set of bones.
0: And Tyrannosaurus Rex guts are everywhere. I don't know. I
1: think he burnt them clean off, man.
0: I guess. Because everybody looks all right, so.
1: Everyone's, yeah, everyone's all right. They all look clean, and... He's like, uh, nice no, set
0: of bones there. Got a museum around here. And, uh, so so this is several hours later, I'm presuming. Like every time we kind of cut to a different location, time has passed. Guess, and, and we definitely yes. see this. Like it's obvious that time passes within the uh, the storm storyline. Well, that
1: that's different though. Uh, well, it I,
0: is. It is. It is very different the amount of time. But I, I feel like a few hours has passed and uh, the X-Men have gone outside with Mystique and said, hey, we're joining up. We need to we need to spread out around the city, uh, this downtown area. Yeah, maybe, and,
1: maybe that's the pacing issue that you're talking about is that we see them team up, but we never really see like them kind of go out. And not that we need to like drag it on, but there's not like a connecting – Panel that says, All right, Freedom Force, you're going to get the north end of town. X Men, you're going to get the south side of town split up. We're going to, you got to protect all these people and we're going to, we're going to rejoin back here in like four hours and figure out what's going on next. And then we see all these little subplots. It's like we just kind of go from the truce to wherever Storm is to X Men helping people. And you don't have that connective dialogue to be like, Okay, are we at Eagle Plaza or are we just in
0: town now? I guess the problem I have is maybe that in the X-Men side of things it never really forwards the story it's just a lot of stuff that's happening like there it's a bunch of concepts yeah. thrown into this thing the X-Men have to fight them and it never really goes anywhere I, until you, until you get to the end
1: yeah i i agree but i disagree i think To get to the end, you have to do all of this stuff. And I also think that there's some nice touches. Like, whenever we see the X-Men and Freedom Force fight, it's always the Freedom Force have to get the X-Men, and the X-Men are just, like, minding their own business. Uh, So Freedom Force is bad, the X-Men are good. And you get a lot of, like, Freedom Force, like, actually... Being, you know, in this panel right here is like, I'm part of Freedom Force and my mate here is an X-Man. So, like, they've really put aside their differences and they're like, we're, we're both here to help people. And you'll see yeah. that with other Freedom Force people working with the X-Men and being genuinely good people, which you – so, you never see. You never see that. Uh,
0: I, I, I agree with you. There are a lot of nice touches. So especially uh, in the sense that there's a lot of things that we don't know what's going on as we as we go through this issue and by the end of it it is it is made very clear that all the a lot of the things that uh, we didn't know exactly what was going on and, and felt like they were sort of aimless get uh, resolved yeah in, in a really in a really satisfying way Yep.
1: yeah so some barbarians show up. The police are trying to stop them. Super Saber comes along and he sonic booms them all. Sonic boom, he shouts. <laughs> uh, Wolverine jumps out. He sees like some, I don't know, some sumo samurai barbarians. Sumo samurai. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and, and Wolverine's like, uh, you want to quit while you're ahead or play rough, your choice. We do see not a very good picture of Wolverine, but it's kind of a classic smile with his claws drawn out in front of him like he's looking forward to this fight
0: and yeah so this is i'm pretty sure several hours later again because wolverine's fine now
1: yes and so he goes to town he's fighting all these sumo samurai barbarians and neil conan is on top of this news truck that they commandeered manoli's running the control panel and she's broadcasting out to abc cbs and nbc and uh, they're kind of having a little back and forth about you know how he's doing the good work And Manoli's like, he's just as crazy as they are. Like,
0: what if he turns on us? Right. What happens if somebody makes him a better offer? These these self-proclaimed superheroes protect humanity from supervillains, but who protects us from our heroes? She almost says, but Neil, who watches
1: the Watchmen? (laughs) (laughs) But she changes to who protects us from our heroes. Uh, is that a question to ask when he's bleeding instead of us? You really believe in these X Men, don't you, pal? It's their world too. They deserve as much freedom and happiness as anyone else. I'm Even Yil- that
0: one that you just shot. Yes, I'm Neil Conan. This is NPR, and this is the. And she says, you know, the the difference between us and them is their powers, and power corrupts. Mm-hmm. And you know, this is a this is a decent argument. Whereas a couple issues ago, we had that weird one-sided argument right. with uh, Valerie Cooper, where it was like a big news sort of thing. This is this is much better done.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and so I don't know, Manoli kind of looks like she's the, the drawing is like she's maybe reconsidering her position, but she's not vocalizing it yet. Uh, but she says that the the whole world is watching, so keep rolling that camera.
0: Yeah, because so, she's she's tapped into ABC. NBC, CBS, nobody's paying attention to New York right now.
1: (laughs) Right. That's right. Uh, Elsewhere, um, they just – so this is Storm and Forge and they've they've decided that they are in a parallel world in the valley of Yellowstone in Wyoming. And they see Forge's mountain of power has been reduced to rubble. And Forge is like, yep, it's probably the same on all Earths in the infinite multiverse
0: and the the way that we can see how uh, time is traveling through all of these storm uh, vignettes is her hair grows. So so in the previous one she had she had a mohawk, but it was more more of a contained mohawk. Now here it's starting to starting to get even more loose. It's bigger, messier.
1: They've found razors because uh, Forge's hair is growing. But he his face is clean shaven except for his mustache and Storm is still maintaining a mohawk. It's just a gigantic mohawk. Yeah. But that's neither here nor there.
0: Well since Silvestri started, she the Mohawk has grown in length almost to the, the point where like the mo the mohawk goes into a ponytail.
1: Right. And I like this mohawk a lot more than I like early punk mohawk.
0: Oh really? Yeah. No, I don't I don't know if I agree with that, but I like this one <laughs> yeah. as 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 well.
1: Maybe this is because this uh, this is essentially my first storm mohawk was kind of the wild, unkempt mohawk versus that perfect mohawk she had. Hmm. But anyways.
0: So, yeah, they, they get into uh, basically Forge wanted to come to the mountain to verify that a couple of things that the adversary was in charge of what's going on and that they are on a alternate reality earth and that they're the only people here essentially – and Storm uh, can't believe her ears and decides to go off on her own. Forge. She's got to go over – she's going she's gonna to go to Africa.
1: Forge also reasons that they're still part of the game. It's just that they're kind of using a different rule set. Right. To, to the ad- the
0: adversary put us here on purpose – there is the possibility that we could escape, and the adversary knows that, but he's made it really difficult for us because that's the kind of person the adversary is. So, yeah, Storm
1: takes off, and uh, Forge is like, Yep, I get it. I understand. Sanctuary is a trap, but you have to discover that for yourself. So, all right, I'll see you in a while, he says.
0: <laughs> yeah
1: more or less. So then we go back to Eagle Plaza. So maybe a couple more hours have passed and the X-Men and Freedom Force are all kind of uh, uh, rejoining forces, bringing supplies, c- carrying things, dealing with uh, hurt folks. Mystique is delivering an interview. So apparently Manoli doesn't have, no, oh, this is still Manoli broadcasting. Uh, she, yeah. She,
0: and, the, and this is where I got confused because I thought logically, neil conan would be the journalist here but he's still the cameraman
1: that's a great point manoli's got the microphone she's doing the interview and uh yeah that's uh, neil conan who's running the camera and it should totally be opposite because he's the journalist
0: yeah that's why i think she's terry Gross.
1: okay uh mystique is giving kind of a a, a well-crafted kind of politically correct um response to what's going on
0: well she's just kind of saying one of the facts this this is what's happening
1: Havoc is like, listen, lady. If the X-Men were the crooks everyone likes to figure us for, we wouldn't even be here. Anybody with a sense would have skipped town at the first sign of trouble. But we've been good guys. Uh, what you media types dub superheroes from day one, risking our necks as a habit. Habit. The only difference is that your folks or your camera lets the folks watch on TV. I hope to blazes they enjoy the show. So he's angry. Uh, And he's got a good point, right? So, like, more or less, the X-Men have not been in the public eye unless it's been for destroying San Francisco accidentally. Uh, We've
0: saved the world a bunch of times and you never saw it. Well, this time you're seeing it. So here's to it making a difference. And Mystique, surprisingly, says, I couldn't have put things better. Now, If you'll excuse us, we have to go to work.
1: Neil Conan says, way to go, X-Men. That's telling the world. (laughs) So now Psylocke, Spiral, uh, and Spiral are working together to try to get Dazzler's Oracle mask and knife off, but she can't get it off because the growing air of chaos about this accursed place is twisting her magical dance.
0: Uh, Did Spiral always talk like this in these kind of stuttered half sentences? No. No. (laughs) okay so this is a new thing
1: kind of i think i think she talked like a relatively normal creature okay prior to this panel um colossus doesn't believe her so he picks her up by her neck and is like try harder and she's like i can't do it
0: so i like says let her let her go colossus i can sense that she's telling the truth she's as startled and alarmed as we are and then colossus threatens her and spiral says maybe someday we'll put a match against the two of us to the test
1: perhaps so and far sooner than either of us suspects he says as he pulls out the little colossus uh chess piece and looks up at the top of eagle plaza and the hole ripped in the sky yeah and we flip back over to elsewhere it's Africa of the other earth uh Storm's air, hair is even longer. Uh um, It's n-
0: it's no longer a mohawk at this point.
1: I feel like it depends on what drawing you're looking at because this first <laughs> one when she's got her arms lifted up into the air, she definitely doesn't look like she has a mohawk, but then towards the end it looks like she goes back to having no hair on the sides of her head. I don't really care, but but yes, her hair's getting lo- a lot longer and a lot more unkempt. Um, She sees herself as a younger child, I think.
0: Yeah, we kind of get a weird flashback of when she first got her mutant powers, she came to this area uh, where many theorize human life began. And this is where she first met, saw the bright goddess that she's always referring to. So she, she attempts to recreate that, but she's the only person here.
1: Nothing. This world has no soul.
0: All of the elements
1: are in place. But they are uh, they are form without full substance because this place, I am meant to be, am I meant to be she? So she wonders that, is she the blessed, bright goddess of this earth?
0: Right. Because right now, it's just her and Forge. Yep. Maybe Adam and Eve. Who knows?
1: Meanwhile, uh, Crimson Commando and Stonewall are directing some traffic, I guess. Um, they're trying to get people to a sanctuary that they've established down town. So I guess this definitely lends uh, credence to you thinking that many hours are passing as all of this is happening. It takes a little while to put together a sanctuary, especially when you're fighting sumo samurai barbarians.
0: This is a little confusing, though, because now there's suddenly a prairie in the middle of the city, which makes you sort of confused about how big this thing is. Right. But, I mean, they have pointed out a couple times that the, 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 the world is still transmorphing or reconfiguring so it is possible that it is still the the downtown space just things are shifting
1: yeah just stuff is happening like crazy uh somebody a good old boy said look everyone on that ridge indians
0: and a bunch of cheyenne, cheyenne 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 i don't know how to pronounce that uh come down from the mountain I'm going to go with Cheyenne. Okay.
1: But that might be white guy speak for something else.
0: <laughs> right. uh, Crimson Commando and the leader of the Cheyenne meet uh, to discuss the fact that they need to team up because the there is an ancient adversary at work. And he, he tells us essentially all the stuff that Forge has been telling us for the past couple of issues that the, the adversary is an agent of chaos who is working to reshape and destroy the world. He mentioned something about a med- having a medicine maker or a medicine chief who is their forge that reshapes spirit into reality, which is very similar. Crimson Commandos, thanks to uh, how Forge was the maker of Eagle Tower and such.
1: He must have read the files.
0: <laughs> well, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. I like this whole back and. I mean, it's not really much of a back and forth. It's more the the. Uh, I'm going to go with Native American, actually. <laughs> But uh, the Cheyenne uh, chief here um, talking to Crimson Commando, I think the whole thing is really well written. It's not a cliche. It's like this is like I'm a Native American. I'm a Cheyenne and this is what's happening. Uh, And so we realize that all of this stuff that's happening shouldn't be happening. Um, So let's let's put together our forces and let's let's work together on this. And And
0: the chief points out that the magic must happen atop of Eagle Plaza.
1: Well, the, the, atop that high place of power, he don't know oh, what right. a
0: plaza is. Yeah, but then Coma- uh, C- Crimson Commando then says Eagle Tower, just in case right. we didn't know what building he was pointing at. The man who lives there, who built the
1: place, he's called Forge. He's Cheyenne, too. And a mutant, that can't be a coincidence. And that's when a good old boy or a cop, I think it's a good old boy, shows
0: up. It's a, yeah, it's a good old boy. This, this is This good old boy will plague the rest of the issue.
1: Yeah, he, he becomes a prominent character for reasons. But he shows up in his, his truck and he's like, blame fool, them, trust them redskins. The minute you turn their back, they'll scalp you unless you take them first. Uh, the, the Cheyenne chief is like, I know not of whom you, and he gets shot. And apparently all of the good old boys just open fire and wipe out uh, the Cheyenne. And it's, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's terrible. It's pretty powerful uh, imagery here. It's kind of all
0: done in silhouette. It's brutal, and um, it's it's explained away as you know. There's there's a lot of heightened energy in the air with all this craziness that's going on. That these this group of people are just looking to uh, take take any sort of victory, right? And this is this is how they take their victory by wiping out a bunch of seemingly unarmed people.
1: And I also like you get again, uh, Crimson Commando not being a uh, uh, cliche or one-note character. He's like, no, who fired? What are you doing? For the love of heaven, stop shooting! Because, you know, he's making some progress. And these are these are people that are willing to help out with the situation. And for some reason, like, the people that we're trying to protect are shooting them all.
0: And he says, "We we ca- he came to us in friendship. Uh, this is over his dead body. Crimson Commando is saying, he came to us in friendship, Stoney. Offering help against a common foe. Sometimes got to wonder whether we even deserve to be saved.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's got Commando got some depth. Uh, but we go back one more panel and there's this guy that's got like a big happy smile. I don't think that's the guy that opened fire, but I'm wondering what he's wearing on his head because it looks like a lampshade.
0: <laughs> it is the guy from the previous panel and he is wearing his hat.
1: Oh, it's just a really weird angle of the bottom of his cowboy hat. Yeah. That's really weird looking. Because I'm like, wait, is this a Vietnam vet with like a helmet or is it a lampshade? But all right. No, it's just the
0: guy with his cowboy hat.
1: Okay. And so we go back to elsewhere, and Storm is, her uh, hair's even longer and more wild. She's riding a horse back to uh, Forge's built a cabin with solar power, and uh, apparently a year has passed. Where did this horse come from? Well, you know, there's animals. Or, I or, guess so. Or just a horse. <laughs> <laughs> Adversaries <laughs> like Storm, Forge, and a horse. That's it. That's all they need.
0: I guess there are giraffes in the previous panel, or in the pre- previous couple of pages. So, And there, there are some birds there, too. So, yeah, I guess there are animals.
1: So they, they have a little reunion. They embrace. They kiss.
0: Uh, and Storm, uh, Forge's leg is tiny. He's... He's whittled it down. He's
1: used a lot of the electronics from his legs to build something.
0: Well, presumably a lot of things, because he's got solar panels going on. Yes. He's got a little cabin. Um,
1: Yeah, and so he's like, did you find what you're looking for? And he says, I believe so, but I wish I had not. Your adversary is the cruelest of jesters, uh, and this is the richest of prisons. So I guess they're, they're trying to figure out... What are they going to do? Are they going to try to get home or are they going to just stay here in this, you know, pretty awesome earth that they occupy by themselves?
0: And Storm could fulfill her supposed destiny of becoming the the mother goddess.
1: The blessed bright lady? Yeah. Sure. And so the good old boy with the cowboy hat, he's shooting a bunch of people. He's featured prominently on the next page. The X-Men are also helping out, uh, kind of fighting off uh, some attacking, more attacking barbarians. Yep. Neil Conan is bandaging up one of Spiral's arms, so apparently she took a little bit of damage. Madeline Pryor's kind of tending to Dazzler.
0: So uh, Wolverine says to Neil Conan, Yo, Neil, any word from outside? And this is when we get our first mention of what's going on in X Factor. There seems to be some big fracas in New York involving X Factor. The other superhero groups, the Avengers and Fantastic Four, are being kept in reserve until it's determined which is the more paramount threat. To which I say, screw you, Chris Claremont.
1: <laughs> this is not a Chris Claremont thing. I, I think it's more of an Ann thing or the, the editor-in-chief was like, you can do whatever you want with your mutants, But Captain America, he's got other stuff to do. I mean, the reality of the situation is that if the franchise Captain
0: America is not a member of the Avengers right right now.
1: Bad pull. But the reality of the situation is that if this was happening in Texas and like it was going mad and the stuff that they're supposedly broadcasting was being picked up and the stuff that was happening in New York was happening, uh, wouldn't they just divide and conquer? Right. Like send. Fantastic yeah, well, you, got the, york, you got the you got the
0: west coast avengers they would be here i mean there are, the avengers would probably be in new york right
1: so this is this is this is not just a um x-men thing like i swear i've read this in fantastic four where they're like oh the chips are down and we're in trouble somebody call the avengers and it's like oh they're being held in reserve right
0: which is a terrible like i i, I would just you know i I could deal with anything. I get the fact that you have to mention the Avengers and the Fantastic Four because they're important. And why aren't they here? And somebody's going to complain about, why aren't the Avengers there? But are being kept in reserve? Yeah, I mean— You couldn't keep the Avengers in reserve.
1: No, they'd be like, we got to do something because we're the Avengers. It would have been neat or more in, in uh, more interesting if just prior to Fall of the Mutants, the Fantastic Four and the Avengers were— Sent to space, or you know, some yeah. other uh, Atlantis mission, like just they—they're in their own three-part miniseries dealing with something else that's not quite as important, but explains away why they can't help the fall of the mutants. But it's interesting enough to give the Fantastic Four and Avengers fans something to read. I don't know, and it could it could even be labeled like a fall of the mutants tie-in, right? But it didn't it wasn't? It's part of the thing about fall of the mutants. I don't feel it was very well orchestrated. Like, I like the X-Men story. Um, I've not really read the New Mutant story. To me, it feels kind of disjointed. Uh, and then the X-Factor story, like, starts okay. The middle's kind of strong, but then just kind of peters out and has nothing left. To me, it runs out of gas. But we'll talk about that later. Anyways. And why,
0: why are these, why would, what's up with the double-sized issues? That's the thing to do, man. Is that just like, we're going to do this thing. It's going to be the fall of the mutants. It, we're just going to – that will be the banner name. It's not going to have any – like none of the – nothing will actually have anything to do with the fall of the mutants, but uh, we'll have double size issues.
1: Well, no, there's there's falls of the mutants, right? Like there's, a, there's a fall of the X-Men mutants that we'll talk about. And then there's Angel has fallen and Doug yeah, Ramsey yeah. has
0: fallen. I mean, it's not, yeah, okay.
1: So, you know, to a to degree. I mean it's not quite maybe as grandiose as – the title
0: leads it to to believe or or the uh, the panel that we got of the the art where everybody's dead <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's a little misleading that's that's true uh, yeah so wolverine's like oh so we're on our own as usual mystique's like the devil it is we still don't know what we're dealing with and how to stop it and that's when wolverine pontificates maybe we're the ancient spartans mystique holding the line at Thermo- Thermopylae thermopylae the new game by Milton Bradley. <laughs> uh, against impossible odds, buying our fellow uh, Greeks time to raise proper defenses and mass the armies. Here we remain obedient to their will, even unto death.
0: You ever see the movie's 300? I did. That's what he's talking about.
1: Since when did you become a romantic? Wolverine says, Darling, how can anybody be an X Men and not be a romantic?
0: You know, I've never read Frank Miller's 300.
1: I've not read it. I've only seen the movie, and the movie was. was fine
0: the movie is uh yeah it, it, it is what it is i really enjoyed it when i first saw it but i don't think it holds up but i like how ridiculous it is but i think uh i, I read the 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 sequel to 300 which just finished recently it was frank miller's was xerxes the rise and fall of uh alexander in the house of it's got a really long title uh <laughs> darius that's what it was
1: was 300 Zack Snyder? Yes. Yeah, I think uh, visually it was very interesting. Um, I couldn't tell you much about the story, and I've never read the, the comics. I probably, if I would have read the comics and saw the movie, maybe I would have been disappointed. I, I guess I don't know. I mean, I, I don't recall not liking the movie, and I never saw it after seeing it in the theater once, so.
0: The, the I can't speak about the 300 series. I would like to read it, but the xerxes it was was very good it was very different it was not what i would have expected it's kind of all over the place but it's good it's good stuff
1: and colossus turns his head and uh thinks or says question mark uh destiny is the is the caption so colossus runs over to destiny to to ask her like what does she see like he's trying to find answers, like, how does he fit into this whole puzzle, trying to figure out this whole Roma thing. And she's like, I don't, I don't see anything, but you're not supposed to be here. Everything I saw before not being able to see anything had nothing to do with you. Why are you here? Right. The ultimate void, oblivion, unending chaos, the end of all, and yet a glimmer, the faintest of possibility, so small, I never perceived it till now within Eagle's Ari. The merest chance for life, but none for you. Oh, Colossus, my dear boy, I see nothing for the X Men. Whatever happens, your fate is sealed. And Colossus embraces her.
0: I'm going to take a nap.
1: Uh, Madeline, I think, asks Colossus what he's going to do, and Colossus is like, you heard her, I'm going, I'm going up there.
0: I'm going into the building. She said- going into Eagle Plaza.
1: You're gonna die. Does not everyone a fair exchange, I think, if others live? And as those words are spoken, it's like the rip in the sky kind of squints, maybe? Gets a little bit smaller, a little bit more evil, maybe? With a sound maybe. like dawn, with a sound like the dawn of creation, or perhaps it's sunset. In the twinkling, more of the city is washed of by the awful eldritch daylight. Okay, so it's getting bigger. It's expanding. Mm. And now out in, in the water, we see, we see like a volcano. We see a dinosaur. We see maybe pirate ships. We see a castle.
0: Pirate ships. I want to see that.
1: Yeah, man. The changes... Uh, the may- manic, irrational juxtapositions, more extreme, coming faster and faster while in the eye of the Tempest. Um, Psylocke catches a glimpse of Colossus's thoughts, and he's like, that woman that you met, that's Roma. I know her from Captain Britain Comics. <laughs> yep.
0: <laughs> and she is the uh, caretaker of reality, which is a subtle way of explaining why Destiny didn't see any futures with Colossus is because Roma sent him here uh, and what's happening is kind of outside of the the realm of, I don't know, the game that is being played, I guess.
1: Colossus is the spoiler.
0: Yeah. That's why he has his own chess piece.
1: (laughs) And uh, so then we get kind of a montage while we're learning about Roma of of Wolverine fighting things. Colossus is now fighting things. Uh, Mystique is just firing on monsters with a shotgun, which is kind of cool.
0: Wolverine comes in and says, "For some reason, that Colossus makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Ever since I arrived there, I have been drawn to Forge's area. Perhaps this is where our answers to be found." Boy, makes sense. I mean, as much as anything, I guess.
1: Rogue reconnoiter, which is not a word I would ever use. Uh, Forge's (laughs) penthouse. Spiral, get there faster, Mystique says, and uh, Rogue's like, darn, Mystique may be my foster mother, but that doesn't mean she cuts me any slack, but as Spiral makes it to the top, she gets blown off the roof uh, in a fiery, I don't know, She's explosion. like, a, She's a
0: fireball. Uh, Spiral's coming down like a runaway rocket. I hate her guts, but she don't deserve my being so nice. Probably let me splatter without a qualm, but I can't, and Rogue, Rogue attempts to save her, but It's too much velocity and too little altitude, and she can't stop. Hopefully her partial invulnerability will be enough to survive the impact. And you see Blob kind of running towards them.
1: Yep, Blob, he absorbs the impact. They land square on him. They leave a crater. Uh, But Blob's okay. They pull him out of the crater and...
0: Never figure it out. Oh, you... My life to you, Blobbo. You ripped my... You reach your neck for one of my pals. I gotta do the same for you, hey.
1: And we see that good old boy with the cowboy hat, kind of looking in. Uh, he's like, uh, um, "Too bad. World would have been a better place without them if they would have died." And Minoli says, "Who asked you, fella?"
0: That's Neil Conan. Oh, you're
1: right. It is Neil Conan. All right, I'm waiting for he's Manoli's got, turn.
0: He's got his camera, man.
1: You're right. Well, I, Manoli should have the camera. That's why I got confused. <laughs> Uh, Wolverine thinks that they're right, uh, they're on the right track, uh, since somebody, or that's Mystique, as uh, since somebody doesn't want us in the penthouse.
0: We gotta go up the stairs, like in Ghostbusters.
1: <laughs> yes. Uh, but Havok says, forget that, Wolvie, half the lobby's been transformed into the jungle, including the stairs and escalator.
0: Makes sense, reminds me of Vietnam, says Wolverine. What do you mean, Tavarish? We cut back to for- Forge in Storm's Land. Where they're trying to decide whether or not they're going to live a happy life and have children, and he explains, Forge explains that he built some sort of special, special thing from his leg that will allow her to possibly get her powers back and them both to return to the other Earth. But, but we don't have to do that. We could just stay here and make out. <laughs>
1: but he's got something. He's got something cooked up, um, and apparently. Uh, forge made a new area and there's a, it's a giant hill i guess somehow he was able to i don't know dirt bucket by bucket of dirt make a giant hill
0: well, i don't think he made it
1: <laughs> no. i think it was there you think he just went up top he's like this is my area yeah. yeah
0: i think he just went up to the top and he was he, he you know he whizzed
1: <laughs> so they, i own this area <laughs> yeah you see that hill i pissed on it Uh, so he, uh, so we flip our attention back to Dallas. Um, Wolverine is like, okay, this is Vietnam. Forge lost his hand and leg in the Nam. And way I hear tell, it was where he renounced his magic.
0: I read it in the files.
1: (laughs) Of course he did. Uh, sniper shows up and Colossus takes the brunt of the bullets. Comrades, beware. Should also be noticed that the, the good old boy with the cowboy hat and a shotgun, he's in The Eagle Plaza with the X-Men and some of Freedom Force. I think he's the only human other than maybe Madeline Pryor.
0: He shoots the Viet Cong who came out of the bushes and said, I did the job. Don't much like Charlie here. Don't like you mutants either. And that's when Wolverine says his scent. This good old boy ain't what he seems. Dazzler Mm. tries to
1: take out the sniper as well. She's using her little concentrated finger gun but she's blind so she keeps missing
0: yeah she's she's aiming towards the sound but it doesn't really work
1: she's frustrated
0: she's got a big knife in her face
1: wolverine is like "Ah, but then round this madhouse what is so he's he's second guessing his senses about this good old boy
0: Wolverine, says Psylocke, I've traded, I've, I've, oh, to do. oh I'm not <laughs> going to do it. I've spotted Roman's thought traces. She's present in this reality mode, and I believe I can pinpoint her position. And Neil Conan is back behind them as well, so he's, he's also here.
1: Ah, that's right, he's filming. Now, ain't that convenient, and about as obvious an invite to a trap as I've ever heard.
0: But they're going to go do it anyway, and, and... like,
1: you can't do it, and...
0: Uh, the good old boy says, Y'all claim to be heroes. Don't that make
1: it your job? You do, you don't belong here, human, says Mystique. This is my world, mutie. It's your kind that don't belong. My kind, mutant kind, intends to save the world, including regrettably those who don't deserve it. Someone remove this contentious oath before I forget which side I'm on. Crimson Commander grabs the. Lady jump. <laughs> and Neil's still got the camera running, and,
0: uh,. And Wolverine makes a speech. He does. Because Freedom Force wants to go, too, but Wolverine says, nah, think of this. Think, woman. This is a trap. No sense in all of us being caught. Moreover, somebody's got to stay behind to protect the civilians, and we got we got a nice close-up of Wolverine as he gives his speech. You're fez, Mystique. That gives you credibility my outfit can't match. The X-Men were outlaws. Expendable. Nobody will care if we toss our lives away. More than a few will probably breathe a sigh of relief and some will cheer.
1: Wolverine, Destiny sees nothing but death
0: for you. You'll yep. notice that in this panel, Wolverine, uh, Neil Conan is, is hip-hugging the camera. So he's getting basically shots of people's waists.
1: <laughs> well, he's he's a reporter, not a cameraman. Minoli, or shots
0: up people's noses.
1: Manoli would know exactly what to do with that camera. But for some reason, she's back in the control room or the control van. Wolverine says, yup, ours alone, uh, our or ours and the world's. If we got to go either way, might as well make it mean something.
0: Sir, I'd like to shake your hand, says Neil Conan. And we see Minoli takes off her glasses because she's, she's tearing up. She sheds a tear.
1: So this is where Forge talks about what his neutralizer actually did. It didn't remove her powers. It erased the... RNA, genetic codes that enabled her to access the powers. So she's always had the powers. She more or less just forgot how to access those powers. So maybe she might have noticed, like, in times of uh, heavy emotion or stress, those powers manifesting. Hmm.
0: So that explains a lot.
1: I feel like we've touched upon that a few times. And so... Out of his leg, he has built another gun that is supposed to restore this RNA genetic code that will let her tap into the power that has always been there. I like this.
0: I mean, it's not yeah, it's not perfect, but it's fine. It, and and it and it's and it's. I kind of wish that it was a little bit bigger because it's also not memorable. Like right, like I, I had forgotten all about this. Same here. So it's like this this. You know, we're we're reading through the X Men, and we're like, well, you know, storms keep happening whenever she gets emotional, and it's really obvious to us. And we're like, does this ever get resolved? Right. And and here it is, in, in one panel, it gives it gets resolved. It but could have been spread out it, a little bit more. Maybe. It, it just happens so quickly that like I I completely forget that this happens. Whereas whereas the big moment when Storm gets her powers back is always memorable. But that won't be coming for for a while
1: spoilers that's (laughs) not true it'll happen in a minute
0: well yeah i mean
1: (laughs) there's there's you know so we flip back to dallas uh wolverine's like same deal as when we came to dallas it's a volunteer mission havoc's like i speak for everybody we're all coming with uh and he's like nope you and dazzler and madeline you can't come and dazzler's like or i don't know madeline's like just try and stop us i'm an x-men wolverine Right. No, that's Dazzle that says that. I'm, an, I'm ex- an
0: X-Men Wolverine. I'm with you to the end. And Madeline says, I'll be her eyes.
1: There you go. Hey, sugar, they're just taking after you. Wish us all luck, y'all. Love to
0: destiny, mistake. Rogue. And she thinks to herself, daughter. And Rogue thinks, says, be seeing you. And she thinks to herself,
1: mom. We may be back. We may not. Whichever, remember us.
0: Which is not a very Wolverine thing to say.
1: No, but given the circumstances. Neil Conan says under his breath, I guess we will, X-Men, always.
0: Which, you know, he's right next to the camera, so that gets picked up.
1: (laughs) Totally. Again, he doesn't understand the microphone or the camera or anything. He's not a tech guy. He's a reporter. So uh, the solar energy power system was easy. It says Forge. We're back in the other area. Uh, it's more than required half the circuitry in his bionic leg. If this doesn't work, there are no other options. Uh, so let's do this thing.
0: She says, what must I do? And he shoots her and says, just hold that pose. Zap. There, your power, Storm. Call them
1: home. And she holds out her hands and makes kind of like a crackly little thing, and then nothing happens.
0: And uh, Forge explains that as, uh, if you get your powers back, you'll have learned nothing from these past few months not having powers. Everything has its price, Aurora, and she says, it's too high, and they kiss, but she gets her powers back anyway. Forge, the lightning has returned!
1: Yes, as they kiss, the thunder rumbles and lightning cracks says the powers return we get a huge lightning bolt that storm is able to control she flies she's got her powers back and that's when forge's like all right i got a pentagram down here all i gotta do is shoot something and
0: we're going home is it a pentagram i thought what is the six-sided star
1: well that would be a i don't know a pentagram is five sides five oh, yeah, i guess you're
0: right it is okay hexa but it's but it's is, what is the devil one? That one's the upside-down star?
1: Uh, you think of the Jewish star?
0: I don't know what I'm That's thinking That's a
1: six-sided of. star. I, I don't know that. Oh, okay. I don't know that you should equate that uh, equate that with evil.
0: Well, no. I thought, isn't there like a upside-down pentagram or something that is Satan's star or something like that?
1: I don't know. Obviously,
0: I'm not a devil worshiper because I don't know this stuff.
1: <laughs> uh, it's been a while since I've seen either The Omen or um, The Exorcist, the only two places I know where I would get devil information. Well, I guess Rosemary's Baby would be the other one, but yeah.
0: I, I just saw Rosemary's Baby recently. I feel like there aren't any pentagrams in that.
1: I don't know if there's pentagrams in there, but I mean, the neighbors were devil worshipers. That's how Rosemary's Baby became, well, Rosemary's Baby, to not give any spoilers.
0: Yeah, no, yeah. It's, def- it's definitely true. Yeah.
1: Anyway, so yeah, he she blasts away at the pentagram. And then we flip back to Dallas. Everything's going crazy. The wind's picking up. Freedom Force is running away from the building. And that's when the good old boy with the cowboy hat says, Well, 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 will wonders never cease? And he morphs from the cowboy to the adversary, or Naze.
0: Yeah, he's he's back as... Naja, I always suspected Forge and Storm were the worthiest of foes. How splendid of them to prove it! I accept your challenge, warriors, with open arms. I welcome you back from exile. Such a pity you are as uh, such a pity you are as doomed to defeat. And that's when Blob says, "Blaze is crazy. I hate crazy."
1: <laughs> he grabs. It's very comical the way he's running because he's a big fat guy. He grabs Mystique and and they run out of the building. Mystique's like, "Ah, put me down!" And she's like, "No." Uh, you the boss, and I don't want to leave you behind, especially with Commando creep trying to take your place. Neil, the reporter and the X-Men are still inside. Tough, they knew the risks.
0: Which I feel like is a subplot that we never really uh, no. established. The, the Crimson Commando was apparently hot to take Mystique's place. I don't know.
1: That I do not believe that that goes anywhere.
0: Um, Neil Conan says, time to go, but if I do, I'll never know what happened. And doesn't go. He
1: stays behind. And then lightning strikes the top of Eagle Plaza and Blob, Explosion. Says, Blob says the whole blame, blame building's coming down. So the revelation that the good old boy was Naze is kind of cool when you go back to his first appearance where he's killing all the Indians because the Indians are like, we know what's happening and we want to help. And I feel right. like that's Naze being like, oh, I didn't think about these game pieces. I need to get rid of them.
0: Right. So, yeah.
1: I think that's kind of, that's, that's some clever storytelling there.
0: There's a, there's a lot of cool stuff like that. The, the Colossus storyline, uh, as, he, as he's drawn to the building, he keeps getting drawn back to it and he never knows why. And eventually they, uh, they, they kind of reference that and say, oh, I've been drawn to this building this whole time. And I think it's because of, because of Roma. And so, you know, it's a lot of, there's a lot of like, Subtle hinting of things, and then it becomes clear throughout this the The storm and Forge storyline has a little bit of that, which works really well so there's a lot there's there's more good than bad in this
1: yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. I f- wish that they would have done m- more with Colossus uh and and maybe he does more in the next issue maybe he's the i don't remember but i feel like yes he's been kind of pulling towards the building but i don't think that's really added any tension or anything to the story Mm. but that's just me it is just you so there you go that that's the it's the end of that issue
0: double sized triple sized quadruple sized
1: let us know kind of we've talked a lot about fall of the mutants how they connect how they don't connect what the heck's going on with Fantastic 4 and the Avengers if you would like to chime in and let us know your thoughts, your takes, where were you when the Fall of the Mutants was occurring, do so by contacting us at www.xmenpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash Danger Podcast, follow us at Danger Room Go, you can email us, dangerroom at xmenpodcast.com, we're on iTunes, go to the podcast section, type in Danger Room, we're the first podcast that'll show up. Or as challenged earlier, you can call us at 501 GetX-Men and tell us what a redoubt is. 501 uh, Get X-Men 438-9636. And when I say readout, I don't mean like a computer readout. I mean like R-E-D-O-U-B-T. Like I doubt you. Oh yeah? I redoubt you.
0: I double doubt you.
1: Well, <laughs> oh, but I double redoubt you. Triple dog <laughs> dare. Uh, so yeah, and then uh, a little bit more fall
0: the mutancy stuff going on. Yeah, we got we got our old X Factor number twenty five um, bullet points. We'll call this segment. Uh, New York City is being attacked by the uh, the. Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, and that's essentially what is going on in X-Factor. The X-Factor team manages to escape uh, from captivity by Apocalypse, and they fight him for a little while, and then Scott and uh, Marvel Girl get sent out of ship, or the ship, sorry, jumping ahead. (laughs)
1: Spoilers.
0: (laughs) And uh, they fight, I think, Pestilence, and um, I can never remember the... The other, all the other names. Famine. Feminine. First, they fight pestilence, and then pestilence disappears down the subway, and then they fight famine,
1: and famine makes Jean real hungry. And there's kind of a funny panel where they're in Central Park, and she's like wolfing down hot
0: dogs. Yeah, it's awful. <laughs> <laughs> food, starving. I need food. These hot dogs on the ground will have to do. <laughs> I want to see the next panel where she's eating the hot dogs off the ground.
1: It's it's there. It's it's uh well page two thirty six in my book.
0: Well, I want in... to see like I want to see what like you see her reaching for the hot dogs. I want to see a panel of her eating them.
1: It's it's many pages away.
0: Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, I guess she is kind of eating them. That's not what I want though. Anyway,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know.
0: So famine disappears and. Uh, gets sent away to a future issue of Captain America, which we'll talk about next episode. Um, Pestilence disappears down the subway where she encounters Power Pack, which we'll discuss after this. Bobby and Beast continue to fight Apocalypse and uh, Cyclops and Marvel Girl battle Angel for a little bit and try to convince, well... Marvel Girl is convinced that Angel will turn okay, uh, turn back to the side of the good, but Cyclops thinks he's the lost cause. Ship goes out of control because of what Beast and Iceman are doing inside of the ship, and it hits the Empire State Building, knocking the antenna off, and that's when Power Pack shows up to help Marvel Girl stop the antenna, but then Pestilence returns, and Angel also returns, and uh, we don't really see it in this issue, but in, in the Power Pack issue the antenna of the uh, Empire State Building gets split in half and Power Pack saves one half and I guess Marvel Girl sort of lowers the other half safely enough that it doesn't hurt anybody. Um, whew, this is another double-sized. So yep. Um, so War is now essentially, uh, he gets beamed up back to the ship, as does Angel, uh, to help Apocalypse, who says that uh, Bobby and Beast are now going to fight The second level of difficulty, (laughs) which is kind of weird, but okay. And uh, Scott and Gene hop on War's horse and take off. And they say uh, the power pack needs to continue helping the citizens of New York. Uh, Scott and Gene rejoin the battle against Angel and War and Apocalypse and Bobby and Beast and, uh, Bobby comes up with a plan where he decides that the only way to get Angel to realize that, um, he is, he is good. He, he's a good guy and not a bad guy is if he kills Iceman. So Iceman sets himself up to be killed by Angel, which Angel does, but spoilers, it's not really a spoiler because it's in like the, the very same panel, uh, Bobby is still alive. He just created an ice statue which freaks out Angel. He says, "No!" And then he rips off his uh luchador mask. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Death mask would probably work. Okay. Cuz isn't and he, Isn't like like the pink and the blue isn't that costume or is that skin? I've never been clear on that.
0: Well, that is costume.
1: Okay. So he's got a he's got a mask on top of his Skull mask.
0: I don't know if that was how it was originally intended. I mean, I like the skull mask. The skull mask is pretty cool.
1: Yeah. But spoilers, he'll eventually grow a full head of hair, but he won't change colors. Yeah. So I think they turned this into a costume. Although, if it's not a costume, that just means he's naked and he has got no, like, you know, Colossus, or I mean, uh, uh, Apocalypse neutered him.
0: Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Yeah. So, So this is, we're going to assume that this is a costume because eventually it becomes a costume anyway. Yeah. Uh, Bobby shows up again, and uh, Angel is kind of happy about it. Apocalypse inspired me. He made us believe you were dead beyond rescue or redemption. I hoped you attacked me. Believe me dead. You might snap out of it. It worked. Uh, Apocalypse leaves the ship with uh, Caliban and war. He says, hey, Caliban, do you you still want to work with me? And Caliban's like, can you make me death's equal? and apocalypse says yeah i said i would so he leaves x factor the ship with an ominous talk about that i don't i don't know if it ever comes true tame it master it if you can it will in time test you to the limits of your endurance will come to possess you even as you possess it will force you to grow evolve even as it fuels the humans fear and rage and greed
1: so the thing i don't like about this is that apocalypse like they fight for like a minute and apocalypse is like we've won let's go you can have the ship that was like super futuristic that's a gift it's a trade I don't know yeah for Caliban yeah it just doesn't I don't know
0: well don't, you know he he he's acting like a villain
1: I don't understand like it feels like a lot of resources and time and energy would have gone into ship but I guess we will learn more about the ship or ship
0: He he, as it were. he lost his fight he, he's he's acting like a villain and being like, you know what, I'm, I'm totally giving you the ship uh, because I totally could have won this day. But I decided that, you know, because uh, the chips are down, I'm just going to kind of leave right now. But I totally <laughs> would have had you if I stuck around. But I'm just going to leave you my ship, even though I don't have to. But I'm cool. I'm Apocalypse. And I'm taking a Caliban because it's like the equivalent, you know.
1: But he doesn't even lose really if you if you read this book, like the horsemen fight x vector and more or less get beat. they don't do anything to apocalypse apocalypse can make shields and and make giant arms that hit people. They made him really tired, maybe like all i guess all they did was they they turned death on apocalypse, and apocalypse was like, "I am out of here."
0: Yeah, it was. He put in a lot of effort and work towards death, and to have him turn around, he just got really bummed out. It's like, <laughs> I guess. Fine. Yeah, uh, you, 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 you're, you're, you're not going to stop. I clearly haven't beaten you, and I'm really tired of this whole stuff. I'm just getting out of here. Anyway, uh, ship crash lands, and they barely avoid uh, hitting the Statue of Liberty, and then somehow. It falls on the X-Factor building, which made no sense to me because it was the, like, where is the X-Factor building in relation to Liberty Island? It's on the shore. Duh. Is it? (laughs) Clearly. Oh, I had never No, I thought it was in the middle of the city. I don't think it was ever. Didn't we establish that it was down the street from the Hellfire Club? Uh, Well, yeah, but everything's down
1: the street from Avengers Mansion and the Hellfire Club.
0: So how is this gigantic (laughs) ship falling on X-Factor's old complex not destroying a lot of stuff and how come x factor and like oh my
1: god rusty skids they're all dead <laughs>
0: yeah, they, they sort of forgot about that already
1: oh my god i don't know man plot is the only reason
0: speaking of rusty did you see uh did You say Dead Deadpool 2? I did. Yeah, that was Rusty Collins. I didn't even realize that.
1: Which who? Which one?
0: Fire Fist. Oh, they keep calling him Rusty. Okay. I it, it didn't it didn't dawn on me either. Because huh. obviously that kid looks nothing like the Rusty <laughs> that we know.
1: I don't I don't really remember Fire Fist. I just I just remember the whole X Factor scene and.
0: Well, I, I, yeah, I don't I don't not I don't being think, able to stop laughing. Yeah, that was that was good.
1: Yes. So they save the city. It's uh, it's issue two of three, and the story is over. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, the story is not over because a news crew uh, hops onto the ship, and just as they're exiting uh, the ship, they decide to interview X-Factor, and X-Factor gives a speech about how uh, X-Terminators and X-Factor are the same. Yeah. So they reveal everything. They've been wanting to say this for several days now, and they finally got around to it.
1: And apparently there's... Uh, a mother and a child watching television and some government officials. Yeah, that's weird. (laughs) (laughs) It's very weird. Like, everybody saw it and we're going to represent it by five people.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, these are the five people that aren't watching ABC, NBC or CBS, which is clearly on San Francisco. No, Dallas. Dallas. Neil
1: Neil Conan was unable to tap into PBS. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) this this is a, a broadcast of all things considered at this point
0: exactly it's it's the one network left so maybe it's it's the cbc
1: um this issue is just like a big filler (laughs) i mean i feel like lou who walt simonson was given the assignment of like okay we got to write, uh follow the mutants for x factor go and he's like oh i don't really have anything lined up for this i don't know
0: simonson walt simonson was the artist oh sorry yes louis Simonson simonson was the writer
1: uh, the Simonson couple. I, th- I mean, really, this is not much different than what they did a few issues ago.
0: When well, this is the this is the culmination of the angel story. I mean, I, the I guess I I thought this was a good issue. The only the only disappointment I had was that the angel story gets resolved in one issue. So we learn that Angel is now deaf, and then in the next issue he's not deaf anymore. I kind of would have liked to it, it to have played out a little bit.
1: Right. He could have been maybe a little bit longer term villain or finding his way or X-Factor keeps getting in his way. So he has to keep fighting them. But then eventually he's like, oh, man,
0: they're my friends. And the other thing is, where was the fall of the mutants in the pages of X-Factor?
1: Well, well, the ship fell on (laughs) X-Factor's complex. So (laughs) that was the fall of ship. (laughs) Uh, the fall of Caliban, he's he's corrupted. Um, death fell last issue, but he is fixed now. Although I think he he's going to have another turn uh, next issue. But
0: anyways, moving on. Power Pack 35 is kind of neat because it fills in the gaps of what's happening in between with Pestilence. Um, basically, we learn that the power in the city completely goes out uh, during all the fighting of the the four horsemen, and uh, Katie Powers goes into the subway to search for her mother, who's trapped on the she she thinks is trapped in the subway, and discovers Pestilence there. Uh, she lures Pestilence out of the subways. However, she gets touched, and uh, the the. The tie-in issues of other comics are weird because everything happens so quickly that and sometimes out of order. So it's it, the timeline just seems a little bit different than happened in X Factor because like ship already has appeared at this point mm. um, in the sky. and that was like a big deal in X Factor. It's 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 a gigantic ship that shows up in the middle of New York City, apparently large enough to destroy the Statue of Liberty to give you an idea of the scope of its size. Anyway, because of power uh, Pestilence, Power Pack all get sick. But it turns out that they have learned about their special healing powers that they have from their last adventure on Snark World. Mm-hmm. Um, They go after the giant ship that has just appeared in the sky that hits the Empire State Building, and that's when they bump into X-Factor and Pestilence again. Some of the dialogue is exactly the same as in X-Factor, which is kind of neat. Some of it is slightly different to give a little more detail of what's going on. Um, Angel is super creepy in these issues because he doesn't say anything. Yeah, <laughs> He just... He swoops in and swoops by, and he just looks like he looks like death. He's got a super creepy facial expression. Yeah, you know, he, he just looks like he's always screaming, like bah! 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 Uh, so. Power Pack continues to do as the uh, as as they promised to Cyclops and Marvel Girl that they would do is help people out and. Um, They do this by following the ship as it looks like it's about to hit uh, the Statue of Liberty, which literally happens in Power Pack right like, like it's heading towards the Statue of Liberty, the ship is. And you see that Cyclops and Jean Grey are not even in the ship yet, which is not how it happened in X-Factor. So maybe they just didn't realize it. Uh, Power Pack goes through this whole effort of rescuing all the people that are in the Statue of Liberty as well as— Trying to manipulate the landing of the gigantic ship, which they managed to do, and then it lands on well, in this issue it just kinda lands in the water. We well, don't actually it, see it land on anything. Well, it lands in
1: the water, then it kinda topples over to the opposite shore.
0: So apparently their their X Factor complex is right on the shore.
1: I think I've discovered the problem with the X Factor and the new mutant stories. Uh, and that is that Louise Simonson is writing both of those and Power Pack.
0: Yeah, yeah, that is definitely... She's probably uh, having a little bit of trouble that's, keeping all this together. That's a
1: lot of writing to have to do, whereas Chris Claremont's writing just this and potentially preparing for Excalibur.
0: I feel like she's more focused on Power Pack, honestly, because this, <laughs> this had the best characterizations of everybody, I thought. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and some some news report uh, the news report the same thing happens at the end of this where news reporters interview uh, Power Pack or uh, uh, X Factor, except that um, they're waving goodbye to Power Pack X Factor is and Power Pack as they're leaving is saying they just told reporters they're mutants and they say they're really X Factor, but at this point the the reporters aren't even really in the panel. Ugh, it's very confusing.
1: This would only be a problem if it was the same writer writing both books.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Uh, next issue of Power Pack features Master Mold. Oh. I'll have to see if I can find that. Heck, we have to read that. In um, Daredevil 252 is is not really going to be covered but it is it is an interesting issue. If you get a chance, you should check it out. It's uh, it handles. There's only one page or maybe two pages where you see the four horsemen and the giant ship. But mainly, it's a story that takes place in Hell's Kitchen, where all the power has gone out, and Daredevil and Black Widow are just kind of dealing with the chaos that is ensuing with all the power out. And it's 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 a pretty good story. Um, that doesn't really relate to anything that we're doing, except for the fact that all of the stuff in X Factor is going on in the background, but it's not really what this story is about.
1: Oh, that's kind of cool.
0: I like that. It it is it is it is actually it's a well written story too. Um, it's it's pretty good. Check it out um, in New Mutants number sixty one. I have I have two problems. Uh, the first problem is
1: in issue sixty. Uh, Doug Ramsey was killed and the cover of 61 everyone's like yay we did it we're all so happy and then you open up the book and everyone's like oh my god Doug's (laughs) dead (laughs) like it is
0: it is a misleading cover
1: like if you go if you just look at those three pages you're like what is going on here (laughs) anyways that's my big problem I've never read this issue
0: they didn't want to do a sad cover.
1: <laughs> well, I don't know. I think it's warranted. Like, dude's dead. Yeah. And and they're all like, like, uh, uh magic. She's like, ah, she's like just writhing in like anger and angst and pain. And then you see, uh, Lo- uh, uh, Warlock, he's on the ground. He's all crinkled up and he's like devastated by this. And, and everyone else is just like really sad. Like, this is a super moving, uh, full page spread here coming on the heels of yay we're leaving the animal people island and we're so happy i mean it's a good cover too like it's it's a well-colored well-drawn cover but man (laughs) really plays with your emotion like what am i am i supposed to be like the heroes are winning but i open up the book and i'm really sad immediately (laughs) anyways maybe maybe you can tell us about this issue and i'll understand why everyone's so happy
0: i uh i i I won't be able to tell you that
1: (laughs) (laughs) darn it yeah because now i see smiley faces and all sorts of crap
0: i really like the way that brett Blevins draws the new mutants they're all so tiny like they're all like super skinny and i i guess they're like he draws them like kids i don't know if this is realistic of how kids look but i feel like it's interesting they're, they're, they're like these tiny bodies with big heads.
1: Yeah, no, I, I like this artwork. I'm flipping forward looking at some of the magic in Limbo, and she looks awesome.
0: Yeah, uh, so the New Mutants bring um, Doug back to the X-Mansion, although not before. As you mentioned, Magic brings one of the happy-faced uh, guys into Limbo and essentially kind of tosses him to the demons, and we see... Her full demon look with all her horns and hooves and all that stuff.
1: This isn't the first time we're seeing it, is it?
0: No, no. We've seen it before. But um we're kinda of, we're kinda of playing with that, I guess, again. Louise Louise Simonson is digging on that story.
1: Like the more she does, like the more armor and demonness demon like she becomes.
0: It's confusing because like where we left off was she left her sword in the in limbo so that Sim wouldn't be able to take over. Right. But now she's pulling it in and out as needed and it looks like Sim is back to kind of following her but not really. So it it's 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 the it's probably the weakest point of this is that doesn't seem to follow the continuity. Um So they get home, and they're looking for Magneto, but Magneto's off at the Hellfire Club, and the Hellfire Club is watching dinosaurs on TV in San Francisco, and they're talking about, hey, you just missed the New York fight. We held our own. It was pretty cool. We would have called you, but whatever. And uh, Magneto sees X Factor on TV, and he's like, I recognized them long ago, of course, because I'm Magneto. Mm -hmm. Um, oh, and there, there's a whole, whole push in this issue of Magneto really hating humans again. He's kind of like, I'm in support of mutants. I don't really care about the humans. Maybe this whole shift that I've been doing towards being good has been a bad idea. Maybe I need to be bad again, <laughs> more or less. So we see where the direction that Magneto is doing. There's this weird panel where uh, we see all of the different uh, schools So we got the original X-Men with Professor X. We got the uh, new Genesis X-Men with Professor X. We get the new Mutants with Magneto. And then we get the new X-Men with Longshot and Havoc and Dazzler. And I'm just wondering, when did they take this photo? Because when this team was together, they were not happy.
1: We talked about this, I feel like, last issue. There there was a a brief moment (laughs) where Storm had to change her clothes. So they all went to the mansion, snapped this photo... And then Storm headed off to Africa.
0: But, like, Havoc. Havoc was in Muir Island or something, and they had to go get him and then bring him back. No, they were in the Morlock Tunnels, remember? Storm's like, we have no choice. We have to kill him. Oh, that's right. So maybe after that, they were like, but before we go, (laughs) let's take a photo.
1: Yeah. I mean, he was an X-Man for, like, three issues. So let's get a shot, huh? All right, now we're going to kill him. Fine, he can be an X-Man.
0: So, anyway, um... The uh, the body of Doug is there, and they're just kind of keeping it in the basement because they don't know what to do with it. Uh, they're waiting for Magneto to get back. Pretty much everybody blames themselves for the death of Doug, um, except for Warlock. <laughs> but he's just generally sad. Rain blames herself. Sam blames himself. Roberto blames himself. Uh, Danny blames himself. It's really a kind of a character issue about how everybody blames himself and how really nobody is at fault. Um, finally, Magneto gets back, and then like everything really kind of goes crazy. Um, and I'm not sure if it's in a good way or a bad way. Uh, first, they see on TV that the X-Men run into the... Uh, Eagle Plaza. And then it explodes. The building, it exploded. The whole thing exploded. And uh, Ileana says, no, I teleported Peter there. It's all my fault. Everybody blaming themselves. This issue is brought to you by everybody's fault. Um, So Magneto gets back and he's rightfully upset that they had been gone for so long. And then he finds out that Doug is dead and he's all upset. He cries over the body and he's like, what have you done to him? And he says this is the only way I can keep you safe and he ties them all up with metal things and they they kind of almost fight but not really Magneto's just throwing a huge temper tantrum and they all kind of blame now now they've turned around and now they're just blaming Magneto it's all your fault <laughs> if you'd stayed home if you had found my note this would you you could have saved us all and uh it's just such a mess. Like, it, it wasn't a bad issue, but it's all over the place. Um, Ilyana goes back into limbo, and she comes about out a demon. Uh, comes out a demon, and she says, "What are you gonna, what are you gonna put us all in shackles?" And she attacks Magneto, and they're all fighting. And Oh ah, man. <laughs> <laughs> they put their so cost- guess,
1: they put their costumes on though.
0: Yeah, I guess they're all they're all grounded, and Magneto doesn't ever want them to leave the house. And they're going to have to – he's going to have to call Doug's parents and let them know that uh, Doug is dead, which was – it's the hardest thing I'll, I'll, ever, I'll ever have to do. And everybody's crying and they're all sad. But then they're in the basement and they decide Magneto's never going to let us leave. So uh, we're going to have to sneak out all the time in order to be superheroes because we're we're the only ones who can do things. And so they find a bunch of abandoned clothes in the cellar or the basement or the attic. One of those, I think it's the attic, and they create all new costumes. And this is—they're in their new costumes on the cover, so maybe that's why they're happy because they got new costumes.
1: Are these costumes at all similar to X Men Annual Number Ten?
0: They are not. Okay. They're a whole different color palette, and uh, yeah, none of them really match. It's—it's it's a whole new set of costumes. Maybe Warlocks is kind of similar.
1: Yes, maybe that's what I'm confusing. Uh, I would agree with you just flipping through there. kind of looks like uh, kind of a mess. Uh, But it'll be interesting, I guess, to see where it goes from here because, you know, as we know in... I don't know, 10, 15 issues, Magneto won't be in the New Mutants anymore,
0: right? So we're really uh, setting up Magneto as going back to being evil. So I, I'm wondering how that's going to play out.
1: Yeah, we spent all of this time, like, getting him from bad to good, well-paced also, him learning little lessons along the way to kind of redeeming himself to now him going the other way.
0: Well, this is planting the seeds, so it could, it could be well-paced getting him back. Yeah. Um, It's yet to be seen. Hopefully it just doesn't turn out. One issue is like, I'm bad again. The way I remember it, and I never really collected new mutants, uh, is
1: that we, although I did miss some uncanny X-Men issues, um, and I think he does show up in one of them, is that uh, you go from essentially this to X-Men number one. Okay. And if you remember who the villain is of X-Men number one. I do. There you go. So that's my recollection.
0: We got a long way to go before X-Men number one.
1: We do. We absolutely do. But that's just my recollection of one day he was good and then a few years later he was bad.
0: But that's even Chris Claremont. So I don't know. Hopefully it'll hopefully it'll be explained. Was it Chris Claremont or was it Jim Lee
1: pushing Chris Claremont?
0: I think Chris Claremont wrote the first three issues of X-Men. How, how much – maybe he just wrote the dialogue. Who knows? Yeah.
1: Well, we'll get there when we get there. I think there's a lot to talk yeah. about when we get to the Jim Lee stuff.
0: Yeah, we have to figure out how we're going to cover that, man. Ugh.
1: <laughs> yeah, so this one's gone on long enough, so we got to shut her down.
0: Shut her down! The, uh, the highlight issue of this was Daredevil 252. Wow. <laughs> Which we covered in a minute.
1: And I've only got a minute. Yeah, so until next time, my name is Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the Danger Room is closed.